0: What is up, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and this is the Messed Up Origins Podcast. Today, we're diving deep into Greek mythology to give some much-deserved spotlight to who has to be the most underrated god in the entire pantheon, Hephaestus, the god of fire, blacksmithing, craftsmanship, and Etsy stores. Now, if you've checked out our show before, you should be somewhat familiar with the Hephaestus. We've talked about him and the myth he's most known for, getting played by his wife Aphrodite multiple times. But frankly, there is a lot more to this god than his failed marriage and infamously ugly face. He was by far the most talented and influential blacksmith in history. His tools not only shaped Olympus and the lives of the gods who live there, but also subtly influenced many other famous myths, including some we've talked about before, and most people don't even realize it. Yeah, I'm very happy you chose to listen to this episode because while most people aren't gonna jump at the chance to learn about who they believe is a second string deity, they're missing out on gaining a whole new perspective on Greco-Roman mythology. But enough with the hype building, eh? Let's just jump into it. Brace yourself for the messed up origins of Hephaestus, blacksmith of the gods. Chapter 1. The Birth of Hephaestus So normally I would just start this breakdown off by explaining what Hephaestus presided over and how the ancient Greeks worshiped him, but I want this episode to be a bit more chronological because unlike most of the Olympians, Hephaestus wasn't just given his station and powers immediately after his birth. He had to earn it, son. Those of you familiar with Greek mythology probably know the story behind Athena's birth, but for those who need a refresher, she basically exploded out of Zeus's forehead, fully formed, fully armed and ready to go. And what's really unique about her birth, besides the whole forehead explosion, is that she technically doesn't have a mother. In some myths, Zeus swallowed a pregnant Titaness named Metis, and that's how she came to be, but in others, it was all Zeus. And as you might expect, Zeus's wife Hera wasn't too happy that he went and made his own child without her, so she sat him down, told him how she was feeling, and the Thunder God vowed to respect her and their relationship from that point forward. Just joking. Come on, does that sound like either of them? No, what actually happened is that Hera got even by having a baby completely on her own only something went wrong during the incubation process. I'm not sure if she was smoking crack during her third trimester or stood too long next to the microwave, but for some reason, her brand new baby boy, who would go on to be called Hephaestus, was born ugly as hell and with deformed legs. So the goddess wanted nothing to do with him and literally threw him off Mount Olympus. Lucky for little Hef, he landed in the ocean and was found by Thetis and Eurinomy, two ocean deities. And they raced him by the Oceanus River, where he spent nine years learning how to work with metals and making everything Everything from jewelry to weapons to eating utensils. One day, Hephaestus sends all the gods these magnificent handcrafted golden thrones, but to get revenge on his mother, he secretly made hers out of adamantium. And when she sat down on it for the first time, magical chains wrapped around her so she couldn't get up. Knowing there could only be one culprit behind this, many Olympians went to Hephaestus on earth and tried to convince him to let his mother go. But his response would always be, Who? The god who finally managed to convince him was Dionysus, the god of wine. And as you might expect, that was only because he got him really drunk. In fact, one of the most famous depictions of Hephaestus shows him being carried to Olympus on the back of a donkey, totally plastered, following Dionysus and a satyr that's playing a flute. In exchange for his help, Hephaestus was allowed to ask Zeus for whatever he wanted. So he requested to be given a permanent residence on Mount Olympus and be the official blacksmith of the gods. He also requested that Aphrodite be made his wife and they were married immediately. So that is the most common version of Hephaestus' birth and the only one that we've talked about in this series so far. But there's actually another compl- completely different story that some Greeks believed just as much as that one. In this version, Hephaestus is both Zeus and Hera's son, and Hera doesn't just throw him off Mount Olympus for being ugly and crippled. In fact, they have a pretty good relationship in this timeline. But what gets Hephaestus in trouble is when he helps Hera out of the chains that Zeus locked her in as punishment for her sending a storm to wreck Heracles's ship while he was asleep. After Zeus finds out that Hephaestus got involved, he throws him off Mount Olympus. And instead of landing in the ocean, Hephaestus falls for an entire day before crashing into the island of Lemnos. And that is how his legs get crippled. Then he's nursed back to health and taught how to smith by a tribe native to the island. Interestingly, there's no details on how Hephaestus got back to Olympus in this one, but we do know that Zeus let him marry Aphrodite as a way of saying, my bad, and to get the other gods to stop fighting over her. Honestly, as messed up as it is that Zeus threw him from the heavens, I'd say making Aphrodite his wife definitely makes up for it. Too bad these hoes ain't loyal. Chapter Two, portrayal and Worship. Now that you know the story of how Hephaestus earned his status as an Olympian, let's talk about the important role he played as blacksmith of the gods and how the ancient Greeks portrayed and worshipped him. When it comes to his physical appearance, we've already established that he's ugly and crippled, but it's interesting to see how that's represented. There's one painting here where Dionysus is leading Hephaestus back to Olympus and you can identify him by his legs, but in the one I showed you earlier, his legs are totally fine. There's also some works where he's shown with a beard and others where he's not, but I've got to say that he doesn't look particularly ugly compared to the other gods. I think they were just being harsh on the poor guy. Another detail you may have noticed is that most of the paintings he's in show him wearing a craftsman's cap and holding either a hammer or tongs. But if he's preoccupied, they'll just be mounted on the wall somewhere. Now as blacksmith of the Olympians and god of metalworking, craftsmanship, and fire, Hephaestus played an important role in making Olympus as beautiful as it was. He was the one responsible for making the magnificent palace that deities like Helios lived in. He also made chariots for Helios Ares, and Aphrodite, making the latter two's affairs sting that much more. He invented the golden automated tripods that brought the gods their food during their feasts because apparently even the divine need waiters. Hephaestus even made weapons and armor for some of the gods and mythology's most famous heroes, like Achilles, Heracles, and Aeneas. He's credited for making Athena's sword and shield, although some accounts say she was born with them, the Aegis, which is the official name for the shield with Medusa's head on it, and my personal favorite, Zeus's thunderbolts, which they actually show him Making in Disney's Hercules. But not everything he made was for a positive purpose. Take Pandora, for example. After Prometheus stole fire from his forge and gave it to mankind, Zeus had Hephaestus create the first woman to punish them. Then to punish Prometheus, Hephaestus was ordered to make adamantium chains the Titan would never be able to escape from while an eagle devoured his regenerating liver every day. Each of these were handcrafted in one of the gods' many forges around Greece. Possibly his main one on Mount Olympus, the one on Lemnos where Zeus dropped him where his two sons, Sibiri and Pelici help him out, his forge on Mount Etna, which Zeus gave him after burying the monster known as Typhon underneath the mountain, or even inside a volcano where he's assisted by multiple cyclops. Like the other gods, Hephaestus had a few animals that were sacred to him, each for their own unique reason. There's the crane, which he grew familiar with when being raised by Thetis and Eurynome because his first forge was by the Oceanus River where they migrated to during the winter. He usually has paintings or engravings of cranes on his chariot or the saddle to his donkey, another animal that's sacred to him because that's how he was brought back to Mount Olympus. Guard dogs were also considered sacred to Hephaestus and would stand outside of his temples to attack those with bad intentions and chase away anyone who committed relationship crimes like adultery. And that's something I just love. Here you've got a Greek God who was married to a cheater so he won't let adulterers worship him. I wonder if that means blacksmiths were the most loyal husbands back then, you know, since they needed to be in his favor. Anyway, the last sacred item on the list is the fennel because the slow burning st- stalk of the fennel was used to transport fire, what he presides over from one place to another. Like when Prometheus stole fire and took it to earth, he transported it in a fennel stalk. Now, while Hephaestus did have a few temples, there weren't nearly as many as some of the other gods and worship to him was pretty low key. Blacksmiths would have figurines resembling him by their forges and conduct their own personal ceremonies to pay him respect. There's also record of equestrian torch races where riders would pass fire between fennel stalks and experts believe that this was a Greece-wide tradition, but not much else has been found at least when it comes to his worship. But what I find fascinating is there are several myths about the ugliest Olympian sexual conquests, so let's talk about some of those. Chapter three, the limping one's love life. When we left off, Hephaestus and Aphrodite were saying their I do's, but like I've mentioned a few times now, the goddess of love was a bit of a runaround Sue. She cheated on her husband with multiple gods, including Poseidon and Hermes, but her most infamous affair has to have been with the god of war, Ares. One day, the sun god Helios caught them doing the no pants dance in Hephaestus's bed because Helios can see all things, and because he's a good guy, he tells Hef about their shenanigans. In response, the furious blacksmith limped over to his forge, and by the way, that's really how Greek authors would describe his movements. They also called him the limping one, which I'm sure he really appreciated. Anyway, he limps over to his forge and makes a net that's so thin, even the gods can't see it, and hangs it over his bed so he can drop it on them next time they bump uglies. Well, that next this time happens depressingly soon, Hef catches them in the net, and then he invites all the other gods over to laugh at them, and they do for a good long while. But after a bit, Poseidon starts to feel bad for Aphrodite and pays Hephaestus to release them. After which, they both flee <laughs> Olympus out of embarrassment and hide out on Earth for a while. And you know what's crazy? I was just watching Disney's Hercules in preparation for this video, and I noticed that the opening scene shows Aphrodite talking to Hephaestus while Ares is standing close by, preoccupied with these Cupid-looking guys makes me wonder what the artists were trying to convey here. I mean, it's too coincidental to not be a reference to their affair. Do you think Hef found out and that's what they're talking about right now? Or maybe he doesn't know and she sent the winged babies over to Ares to stop him from coming over and making it too obvious. It's anybody's guess, but I'd really appreciate some insight here. Also, Hef, my man, her eyes are about 10 inches north of where you're looking right now. Come on, bro. Be cool. Anyway, I always thought the story of their affair ended with them being caught, but I recently found out that Hephaestus wasn't happy about the lack of repercussions that Ares and Aphrodite suffered, which is none none repercussions. And because of that, he vowed to take revenge on the product of their union, their daughter, Harmonia, the goddess of harmony and concord. On her wedding day, he gave her an enchanted necklace that would give her eternal youth and beauty. But what he didn't mention is that it would also bring grave misfortune. Well, only a few weeks after the wedding in a complicated series of events that we'll talk about in another video, Harmonia and her husband Cadmus were turned into serpents. But get this, the necklace gets picked up and makes appearances in several more Greek myths. Remember the story we talked about last episode where Semele, Zeus's side piece, forced him to show her his true form and that resulted in her being incinerated by his unleashed power. Well, she was wearing the necklace the day that Hera convinced her to do that. And we've all heard about Oedipus, the guy who killed his father and married his mother. That play, that, that, that. Oedipus thing? Man. <laughs> I thought I had problems. (laughs) Yeah, his mom was wearing the necklace on the day they got married. Isn't that just insane? I literally figuratively threw up after I read that. Greek mythology is just so and dope, son. Now, after his marriage went down the drain, it was time for Hephaestus to get back into the dating scene, but his first few attempts didn't go so well. See, at first, he set his eyes on Athena. and Who can blame him? How often are you gonna find a hot goddess that likes using and building weapons? Well, sadly, Athena did not like Hephaestus in that way, so the weirdo tried to force himself on her. What's worse is that Hef got a little too excited too quick and busted his nut right on Athena's thigh, to which he responded, "Ew, dude, and wiped it off with a tuft of wool that she threw on the ground. That's at least one version. In a different one, he convinces Zeus to let him marry her because he's the one who took the ax to his head to release her, and Zeus consented. Now to those confused, because earlier I said Hera gave birth to Hephaestus after Athena was born, don't worry. Even the experts are confused by this little contradiction. So we're just gonna roll with it. Anyway, in this timeline, Hephaestus tries to make his move on Athena on their wedding night, but the goddess just vanishes into thin air before he can even touch her. Still though, he gets a little overexcited, and once again, his baby batter ends up on the floor. Now, what's interesting is that both myths have the same ending. Because Hephaestus' love liquor landed on the Earth and the Earth is the deity known as Gaia, Hephaestus got Gaia pregnant. And just so we're totally clear on how messed up this is, Gaia is his great-grandmother. She goes on to give birth to Eric a half man, half serpent. And in some timelines, Athena becomes his foster mother and raises him to become a great ruler and founding hero of Athens. You might think that after Hef's failed attempt with Athena that he'd set his standards a little lower, but nah, he set his sights on Persephone next and gave her a necklace he made to try and entice her. This was a big swing and a miss though. Persephone's mother Demeter, who dare I say, was a bit overprotective, rejected Hef's offer along with every other God's proposal gifts. After this, I think he really Realized that his sights were set just a little too high and moved down the totem pole a bit to Aglia, the goddess of glory. The two of them married and she gave him several divine daughters, Eucleia, Eutheme, Euthenia, and Philophrysini. Hephaestus also had a few side pieces before he settled down with Aglia. There was Sabiro, a sea nymph that he hooked up with after being thrown off Mount Olympus. She was the mother of the two sons that helped him in the forge. And then came Anticlea. She was a mortal woman who gave Hephaestus a one-eyed limping son named Periphetes, who was known for being a bandit and killing travelers with his club. You know, I'm not sure if Hephaestus had a favorite child, but I bet I could tell you who his least favorite was. With that comes the end of the Hephaestus myths though, and I'm curious if you agree with what I said at the start of the video, that he's one of the most underrated gods. At risk of repeating myself, I just think it's incredible how prolific his work is within the Greek mythos and how little attention he gets for it. Like if it weren't for him, Zeus wouldn't have had his lightning bolts. Athena wouldn't have had the Aegis. Heroes like Heracles and Achilles wouldn't have had the blessed armor that protected them during their most harrowing trials. Hell, forget all that. If he didn't invent those automated food-serving tripods, the gods would have had to pick out their food like a buffet, and that's not classy. I can't help but make comparisons with Hades, who also has a very misleading reputation. Do you think they get together once a week and talk shit about the other gods? I'd like to think so. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, Mere Mortals. Feel free to let us know your thoughts on it by hitting us up at Messed Up Origins on Twitter and Instagram and sacrificing that five-star button to the algorithm gods if you haven't already. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast because it's totally free and always will be. Also, we upload three times a week, remastered episodes on Monday and Wednesday and all new episodes on Fridays. And if you're craving more Messed Up Origins, you can always check out my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, everybody, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.